did it count down already? No, you couldn't hear it. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. I think we're there. Yeah.
Anybody else I'm missing? Yes, Diane, lift her up in prayer. Um, who else? My aunt, Mary Ruth. Um, anybody else? Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Charlotte? Pam White? Arlie Epps? Yes, ma'am. Yes, your niece. Amen. Anybody else? Well, let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord and bring him our, our request. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. 
Amen. Let's turn to 388. 
and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. My Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you again this morning. And Lord, as I've said before, I need you desperately today. Lord, I, I feel weak today. My body's weak. My mind feels weak. Lord, I need you to be my strength, Lord, I, as I always do. I know that without you I can do nothing. And Lord, I, I'd rather die than stand up here and try to preach without your power. Lord God, please give me Holy Ghost power this morning. Lord, your people need to hear from you. And, Lord, the only way they can hear from you is if you speak through me. And I beg you, please, this morning, give me your power. Use me for your glory. I'll be careful to praise you for it. Lord, I know I can do nothing without you. Lord, help us. We're weak, Father. We're frail creatures. We need the strength of our Heavenly Father. Help us, Lord. Come and fill the need. Meet with us now. Speak to us and encourage us in the Lord and direct us in the way you'd have us to walk. Father, I pray you meet each need this morning, touch each life, speak to each heart, and we'll praise you. We thank you, Lord. I love you so much. You're so good to me, in spite of me. And I just want to thank you and praise you this morning, Lord. Bless our service now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, again, I'm going to pretend that some of you have never even been here through this chapter. This whole chapter, chapter 2 in the book of Second Thessalonians, is regarding false information that the church had gotten regarding whether or not the rapture of the church had already taken place. They had been told, you missed it, Jesus has already come, and they don't know what you're going to do. Y'all are in a mess. And so that church, which, again, Paul had, Paul had established while he was there for those three weeks, and then over the course of, uh, of those three weeks, pagans around them, the Jews, uh, the Greeks, they, 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 they wanted nothing to do with Christ. They wanted nothing to do with the message of salvation. So they began to make life extremely hard on Paul and, and, and Silas, and so they, they, they left there. And they, they went on down the road, and uh, they couldn't get back to where they were going. They wanted to go to they, they, Satan hindered, as Paul said. And so while he's gone, there've been people who've entered in there and have told them that you've missed the rapture, and and that you know you're already you're already in this time of, 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 of great judgment on the earth, and and uh, had them all confused, and had them all scared, and and so Paul's writing this letter back to them to. Uh, Give them some consolation. Now, in order to, to make all this, bring all this together, let's look back at the top of that chapter, chapter 2. He said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, of course, that's the rapture of the church. He said, We're, we're, we're talking to you about that. He said, That you not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither be by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. So he said, don't worry. Somebody's trying to tell you that he's already come. Look at the next verse. Let no man deceive you by any means. 
let no man deceive you by any means. And that is exactly what was going on. There was a lot of deception or someone, for whatever reason, just to be a menace and a nuisance and a burr and and under the saddle of God's plans, I do believe, the devil put the people in there to cause these problems and and create these uh, diversions from God's work being done. And so... We've, uh, the next verses are describing the things that, that Paul has already talked to them about when he was down there, and he's reiterating to them, look, the Antichrist has got to come on the scene before, before all those things can take place, and, and you know, the world's going to get more wicked, the church is going to get more wicked, and, 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 and he said again, he that let it will let until he be taken out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit who indwells the church. He keeps the Antichrist from being able to come forward and, and rule on this earth at this time. And so he's gave them that knowledge. He's gave them that, reminded them of that. And then when he got down here to where I just picked up reading in verse 13, he makes this statement. He says, but we, but look here, he said, but we're, we're bound to give thanks to God always for you. He said, Beloved brethren of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Listen, I want you to I want you to remember, we're we're praising God. I know y'all are, I know y'all are shut up. I know y'all have had some troubles. I know they scared you. But I want you to understand something. We praise God and thank God for you everywhere we go. Why? Because we know you're saved. We know you're saved, and we, and we know God's got you. We know that God's in control. And he said, and I want you to know, people are trying to deceive you. People are trying to fool you. And, and he said, but listen, these words, verse 15, look at verse 15. He says, therefore, beloved brethren. Therefore, brethren. Why is he saying therefore? Because we know that you are saved. He's saying, therefore, because we know that Christ has, has saved you, that you have chosen the Lord, and that God has called you by his Spirit. We know that about you. And he said, and therefore, brethren, oh, oh, by that matter, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, we're going to start right there. And we're going to break down those, next, those three verses, and then we're going to go to the house. But that phrase he says there, stand fast. Stand fast. Somebody told you to stand fast. What do you think they're saying? That means get up quickly, stand up. They do that too quick, you'll pass out. Stand too fast. That's not what we're talking about. To stand fast. Fast is the is the operative word. We know it means to stand, but what does it mean to stand fast? Well, fast is where we get the word fasten. Okay, it, it, it's talking about plant ourselves. Put your roots down there. Tack her down. Don't move. Be still. Hold what you got. Hold you. Paul is telling these people up there in Thessalonica. He's saying, "Look, don't budge. Stand on the rock of ages. You stand." On Jesus Christ, and don't you move. Now, why in the world would he tell them that? Because they were shaky. They were shaky. It's just like, you know, you ever seen, you ever seen the video footage of an earthquake and, and people inside something, they're just falling all over the place and they can't stand up? Yeah. 
everything's unstable around them. That's why they can't stand. Okay? But and that's the way things were spiritually in these believers' lives. It was as if they were in a spiritual earthquake and, and, and Paul's telling them, listen, stand. Stand back. Don't don't you fall down now because this trouble's coming at you. Stand. Now why are we to stand? Why are we to stand fast? We're to stand fast because of what and who we are in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything else, but because of what and who we are in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, I want you to look there. Flip back over there, the first chapter, verse 5. Paul is talking about the trouble that they have gone through, the persecution that they went through. He said, which is a manifest token, which means it's evidence of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffered. He said that they are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, why in the world would they be counted worthy of the kingdom of God? Because of what Christ has done for them. Because of what Christ did on the cross. Because of his atoning death and his resurrection. That's the reason they're counted worthy. They're not counted worthy because of anything that they bring to the table. It's because of what Christ has done in them and for them. And you know what? You and I are also counted worthy. I'm counted worthy because of what happened to me on November the 1st, 1975 in my bedroom when I got under conviction of my sin and I cried out to my Savior and I asked him to be my Savior. And he saved me that night. And it's that moment that I was counted worthy by God. Amen. God counted me worthy of the kingdom of God at that moment. And it's a command to stand fast. It's not a suggestion. It's a command, and we're commanded to stand fast. And because we're commanded to stand fast, we know that we are. He wouldn't command us to stand still and stand firmly the Lord if we weren't here. One proves the other. You know what I'm saying? Now, understand something. Paul is not telling us to stand fast in our stance. Okay? What do you saying, Brandon? I'm saying, I'm saying that's trouble everywhere. We got stuff coming at us right and left. I mean, we got physical things coming at us. We got mental things coming at us. We got spiritual things coming at us. And we got to navigate through all of that. No, we're not living in the world that the Thessalonians were living in. No, everybody around us doesn't hate our guts and, and wish we were dead and call us a bunch of crazy people. Well, some may, but I don't, I don't know who they are, but... But we're not living under the conditions that they were living under. They were living under some horrible conditions. But they couldn't do it in their strength. There was no way. Everybody around them, you have to remember, again, this is the first time in the history of the world that Christianity has been preached in that part of the world. So it's totally foreign to that part of the world. And that part of the world was controlled by idolatry and witchcraft and wickedness. And so when you bring light into the midst of darkness, the darkness freaks out and says, we don't want that. Put that out. And so that's what the darkness tried to do. That's what the devil and his crowd tried to do. They tried to come at them. And if they had tried to bow up against the devil in their own strength, they would have lasted about that long. And, and you know that if you've ever tried to go up against him yourself without the Lord's help. And, and you, may, you may say, I've never done Yeah, you have. You just didn't think you were. Whenever you try to do anything in your own strength without 
without going to the Lord first, you're trying to you're trying to butt heads with him without God's help. It don't ever work. So Paul's not trying to tell us to do it in our strength, and he's not telling us to try to stand fast in what we know. Because the Bible tells us plainly in Proverbs uh, 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. Forget what you know, because what you know will fail you. You trust what God says, not anything else. This standing fast, the Bible uses another word for it. It's called steadfast. What is this steadfastness or this ability to stand fast that Paul is telling these believers in Thessalonica to do? Again, against all the troubles that are coming against them. I mean, <clears throat> when I think of standard fast, I, I remember once I was, I was down uh, I was on vacation. I was years and years ago. I was down on vacation, and uh, and we were on the Gulf Coast, and Hurricane Gustav came in while we were there. And so it really messed up a good vacation. But I, I remember standing out. Where we were, the resort we were staying, set up by the pool in Scott, Louisiana, and we were standing there in the wind, and we were leaning, we were leaning about this far, and you could lean way past your balance point, and the wind holds you up to about a hundred mile an hour wind. I never felt anything like it in my life, but it, and it was not easy to stand still in it. And well, you know what? We were standing fast. We were, it was coming at us with everything we had, but it wasn't blowing us over. And that's, that's the, I want you to get that middle picture in your mind when we're talking about this. Because that's what God, God's telling us, don't move. Don't move. Listen, though the world comes against you, though the devil comes against you, though everything comes against steadfastness comes from the power of God. Again, it doesn't come from our strength. It comes from the power of God. Psalms 55 and verse 22 says, tells us to, to cast our burden upon the Lord. In other words, we're carrying this heavy thing around and it's weighting us down. God says, quit carrying that heavy thing you can't handle. Let me have that. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. He's told us to stand. Stand still. Stand fast. He's like, I've got you. I can I can take care of you. I'm I'm your power. What did Paul say? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because he's relying on God's strength and not his own. That the God listen, God wants to be your everything. Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. He wants to be your everything every day, all the time, three hundred and sixty five days a year. And I've never let you take a vacation or a break from him and try to do it on your own. Because if you do, you'll learn very quickly that you cannot do a thing without him. You need his power in everything that you do. And not only do you need his power to remain steadfast in your walk, in your life, and in your testimony, and everything about you, but you need his presence as well. You can't make it without the presence of God. Listen, he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. Nobody loves you, has ever loved you like God loves you. You need his presence everywhere you go. Psalm 16, verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Again, God wants me to stand firm. And as long as I have God with me as my power and the presence of God with me in, in his love, with me. I, I don't have I don't have to be afraid. 
you see. I don't have I don't have to worry about what comes at me because God is the one who has me rooted firmly in who and what he is and what he has done in my life and what he will do in my life. I say steadfast, steadfastness comes from the power of God and the presence of God. But it also it comes from trusting in the Lord. Psalm 26 and verse 1. David said, I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Amen. Again, why, why is he saying we say not to slide? He's saying I'm going to backslide. I'm not going to because I've trusted him. I don't have to backslide. No, why? Because my relationship with God, as long as as long as I'm looking to Him, He's given me all that I need. I I, I don't I don't have to look to myself for for strength. I don't have to look to myself for wisdom or direction or anything. I just trust God. You say, well, well, what about the future? I don't know what the future holds, but I'm not who holds the future. I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow because he holds tomorrow. He, he said, well, what if it gets worse? Well, what if it does? God's still going to be there, isn't he? God's still got me, doesn't he? Amen. So I don't have to be afraid. So I can stand fast knowing that God has got me. And I, you know what else? They intercede on the the Lord. God intercedes on behalf of his children. Amen? You, listen. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he said to Peter in Luke 22, 22 verses 31 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, none of this, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, you've got to get a picture of this. Which is a winnowing basket. Okay? You've got wheat in it. And, and he's talking about sifting his wheat. Well, it was said about this big round, a big old, big old thing. They got the wheat on it. And what they do is they stand up there in the wind, pick that wheat up in the wind, and then they catch it. Why are they doing that? Because the wheat has, it has kernel, and it has chaff, which is that papery outside hook on it. When they throw it up in the air, the wind catches the chaff and blows the chaff away, and the green fall down they catch it. And that's what he's saying. He's just going to throw you a barrel. He just wants to throw you around like a kid's friend with a, with a ball of a string. And, and he does. He wants to do the same thing with you. And he will if he gets the opportunity. But you see, Christ says, hey, listen. He said, but I've prayed for thee. Satan wants to do that to you. Hey, listen, but I have prayed for thee with our first prayer now. There's a song that I don't know who's saying Yes, he's ever interceding to the Father for his children. Yes, he's, for you he's interceding, so come boldly to the throne. I, I, I'm so thankful that we serve a God who doesn't just leave us on our own. I'm so thankful we have a Lord who didn't just die on a cross and go back to heaven and say, all right, we'll see you all, whatever, however long. No, he's here every moment. He's here with us every moment in everything we face and every trial and every fear and every heartbreak, and he's there to intercede to the Father for our health and our strength and our and our well-being. And we need it. Because just like the church at Thessalonica, you and I find ourselves surrounded by a hostile pagan world. We do. I mean, I, I know it's not as bad as other places, but but if you don't think that this world is, is not turning more hostile toward Christianity, you're fooling yourself. 
It is. Churches are drying up and churches are dying. And people are saying there's no point in going to church. What's church for? Let's just go do what we want to and have fun and, and go run and play on Sunday. We don't need to go to the house of the Lord anymore. That's not true. That's when a society begins to die, when they turn their back on the house of God. No, we're, 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 in, a, we're in a bad place, and it ain't going to get any better. It's just going to get worse. There's a lot more uncertainty going on after the future. I mean, we got Russian submarines standing around our coast. We got spy balloons going across the country. We got people killing babies and same sex marrying each other. People murdering and killing, uh, raping and everything else everywhere, all over the place. And, and and Hollywood is just obsessed with Satan, and the music industry is obsessed with Satan, and and, and everything. TV is obsessed with it. It's all around us. I mean, Christ returned. Is imminent. He could come at any moment. This world we're living in, again, it ain't too different from what they had back then. And God tells us to stand fast. So how should we do that? How should we stand fast? What does that mean, stand fast? Well, our steadfastness, it should be brought forth or manifested in what? In cleaving to God, first of all. We ought to cleave God. Again, Jesus said, without me can do nothing, so why in the world would we ever want to try to be without him? Why in the world would we ever step aside from the Lord's presence to go and try to do what's right in our own eyes if we were reading the judges earlier? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 10.20 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. I do fear him, amen. Hey, I, I had to come to him, and I, I bowed before him and, and confessed my sins and asked him to save me. I had to come to him and do that because I needed to save you. So, I mean, why in the world at that point, now that I'm his, now that I'm washed in his blood, now that, now that, I, that his name is upon me and, and I have a, a name in, uh, written down in the book of life in heaven and I have a home in heaven, now that I'm in his family, why in the world would I want to be apart from him? Doesn't make a bit of sense, does it? No, if I'm going to be steadfast as a believer, I need to cleave to my God. I need to cleave nearer and closer. Cleaving is like a husband and a wife getting married. They cleave to each other. That means I'm with you from here on out. And that's what it means when we get saved. Listen, I'm with God. I, I don't need to I don't need to spur in the relationship. I need to spur it with God. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave. And swear by his name. That means I don't care what the world comes at me with and promises me. I don't care what kind of newfangled anything comes down the ladder. You're not pulling me off of what I know to be true and with what God says in his word. I'm not going anywhere but where God says to go, and I'm not going to do it anywhere other than what God says to do it. I'm sticking with him. He's right. The world can go jump in the lake. I don't care. I'm going to stick with God. Amen. And if you believe the word of God, you will too. I say our steadfastness, steadfastness, it needs to be manifested in our in our faithfulness and our cleaving to God. <clears throat> and by the way, if you got any wishy washy left in you, time to get it out. Listen, we serve a jealous God. And God wants faithful believers. He wants faithful children. <clears throat> Our steadfastness would be manifested in cleaving to God, but not only that, but in doing the Lord's work. 
I mean, we're his people. We're, his, we're the sheep of his pasture. But he's called us to do his work. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. What is he saying? He's saying the very same thing he's saying that it's special and I can say. Stand fast. And he's telling them to be steadfast. He says, be ye steadfast. So put your root down. Put your tap root down. Get firmly planted in the house of God and get firmly planted in the, in the, in the word of God. He said, and then, he said, be steadfast, be unmovable. Listen, that's, that's, that's one of the first things you need to figure out in your Christian life. Indeed, you'll continue in my word. You'll stand fast. 
you won't you won't be you won't walk away from it and never come back to it. If you're if you're mine, listen, if you're mine, you're gonna keep going. If you're mine, you're gonna be steadfast. Now I'm not trying to throw doubt on anybody's salvation at all. That ain't what I'm doing. I'm trying to say to you, if God has, has saved your, your soul, if he has saved you by the blood of his son, you have something in you that knows you should be doing something for God, whether you're doing it or not. If, you, if, if you're a child of God, there's the Holy Spirit of God down in your soul says, you know you should be busy for your Lord. That's a characteristic of a saint. Every child knows I need to be good and do, do good things for my mommy and daddy. Every little kid knows that. They want to. That's why they draw pictures for you to put on the refrigerator, because they want to do something nice for you. Listen, that's, it's innate in children. For some reason, in us believers, we forget that we're supposed to do something with this Christian life that we've been given. We need to stand fast. And I want you to notice the next statement he makes there. Stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Now, the first time I was looking at that, I was thinking, stand in fact, stand on the rock. And he says, now hold it. You know, more like this. I'm to hold. What am I holding? He said, hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. So what, what traditions is Paul talking about? I mean, four songs in the, before you preach? I mean, is that what he's talking about? He's talking about, a, you know, we, we eat after service, traditions? I mean, what stuff like that? What time we meet? No, he ain't talking about none of that. He's referring to the doctrines. When he says, hold the traditions which you have been taught, what did Paul teach them when he was there? He taught them the doctrines of the Word of God. He taught them the prophecies of the coming uh, of our Lord, his second coming. He taught them about the rapture of the church. He taught them those things. And he, he said, whether by word or by our epistle. Now, he wrote letters to them, and he was there with them, and he told them in person. So he's not talking about anything, uh, any any oral traditions of man handed down or anything like that. He's talking about what Christ taught him. He's giving them exactly what Christ taught him. He's talking about those doctrines which Jesus Christ imparted to him. And he refers to them as such in Romans 6, 17. He says, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Again, he's talking to the church at Rome, just like he did in the church at Thessalonica. He said, y'all were lost. You were the servants of sin. He said, but you you have obeyed from the heart the doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is truth about Jesus Christ. Doctrine is the truth about salvation. Doctrine is, is what the Word of God teaches us. He said, you believe, you believed and obeyed from the heart that doctrine which was delivered unto you. To the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, where he gives the gospel, he says, Moreover, brethren, I, do, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, 
which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. They stand in it, you see. They stand in the doctrine. Standing do they have? They have a standing of salvation. Why? Because they believe. Listen, he said, by which ye are also, by which also ye are saved. You're saved by that doctrine. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. He said, listen, I had to receive it myself. I had to believe that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, was buried, and rose again according to the Scriptures. That's the doctrine of salvation. <clears throat> he says you got a hold to that. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul tells Timothy, Hold fast. Again, there's stand fast, hold fast, everything. It's God saying, get a grip on it. Hold fast what? The form of sound words, the truth, the word of God. He said, which thou hast heard of me. Hold it in faith. Hold it in love, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, you got to, he says, Make sure you're standing firmly on Christ. And make sure you've got a firm hold of the truth of the Word of God. Why? Because the storm is blowing at you. Because the devil is coming at you with everything he's got, physically, spiritually, and mentally. He's trying his best to wipe you off the face of the earth. He said, stand and hold on to what you've got. When you take a stand for God, and when you hold the doctrine of the Word of God, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to come under attack. Just rest assured in that. You don't have to look for a battle. The battle will come to you. And you you don't have to, listen, you don't have to be wild and dogmatic about it. All you have to do is stand. All you have to do is, is, is say, Lord, I believe what you said in your Word. I trust that, you, that, that what you tell me is true. Everything you said in there, I believe it's true, and I believe it's to me, and I believe it's real, and I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to live by it, and I'll die by it, and nothing's going to budge me off of it. You ain't going to tell nobody else that. All you got to do is make that commitment. I assure you the devil will perk his ears up. I assure you he will try his best to come at you and see if you're real or not. And as I said, we can only stand fast in the power of God. Don't let that, don't let that, when I say that, boy, he's going to come at you, don't let that bother unless you're not going to stand with God. Because if you stand with God, the devil can blow all he wants to, but he's not going to blow you over. If you hold to what God has said, listen, he ain't never going to, he's never going to, he's never going to defeat you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, it's not ours. Put on the whole armor of God. Again, God's strength, not ours. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How do I stand? I stand in God's strength, in God's power, in in God's armor. 
He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Again, remember, it's not the people down here that you're enemy. They're not your enemy. That's who the devil's using. He's using them to come at you, but they're not your enemy. They're just cannon fodder for the devil. He just uses them. No, he says we wrestle against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's devils and demons. That's the kind of stuff we're up against. We're up against Satan and his minions. Now let me tell you something. I don't have that kind of I don't have that kind of might. But I tell you what I do have. I have Jesus. And he lives in me. And his power is in me. And his word is hid in me. And it is my armor. It is my armament. It is my weapon. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's when the devil comes at you with everything he's got. He unloads his armament against you and he unloads it on your head. And God says, And having done all, to stand when it's all over with and the smoke cleared and the dead bodies lay all over the battlefield. There you stand, still alive, still victorious over all that the devil has tried to come at you with. How does that happen? God does it. It's not you. It's not you. Just like at church, they were scared to death. But Paul said, listen, you get your feet planted on Jesus Christ, and you take hold of what I've taught you, and you're going to be okay. I'm going to tell you something. We're living in a day where you're going to face some battles. If you're not in a battle, something is wrong with you. Let me just put it this way. If you're not, if you're not in a battle daily, for your relationship with God, then something's wrong. Hear what I'm saying? Because we're in a spiritual war. Whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, we're in a spiritual war. And and, and Satan ain't playing. He's not he's not playing kid games. He, he's taking prisons. And he wants to he wants to wipe out as many as he can. He wants to keep as many out of out of heaven as he can, he wants to drag as many down to hell as he can. We're in a battle, and he knows that we are his enemy because we are the ones who are dragging people out of his camp. If they're to be dragged out of his camp into the Lord's family, and he don't want that to happen, so we're in a war. But we can stand, and we can win because we have already won. Because the Bible tells us that you're more than conquerors to him that loved us. Now let's look at verse 16 and 17, and we'll be done. And it finishes, and it says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, even, and, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us an everlasting consolation, comforts your hearts, and establish you in every good word, and work. Now let's let's kind of figure out what he's saying here. So he's he's finishing up this whole idea, this whole chapter, where he's talked about again the, the delusion that's came at him, the, the false things that have come at him, uh, the, the stories they've been told, the lies or whatever, and all the doubts that came at him. And he said, "Listen, you're saved. I know we know you're saved. Stand and hold the word, hold the doctrine." He said, listen, 
Jesus Christ himself, God our Father, hath given us an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Let's unpack that. God has given us, it's interesting the way he phrased that. He says, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. Y'all know where comfort comes from, right? The comforter. Who's that? That's the Holy Ghost. You see the Trinity right there in those two verses? Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Ghost in verse 17. But he's saying, Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us an everlasting consolation. What is that everlasting consolation? Well, that's Jesus. That's what it's saying. He gave us Jesus. The consolation of Israel is Jesus. In Luke 2, 25 and 26, the Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna were there in the temple after Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph brought him in. And Simeon held that thing. He was waiting. He held Jesus. He was there waiting that promise that he was that he would see the consolation of Israel. The consolation. What does that word mean? What is an everlasting consolation? It's an alleviation of misery. It's I've been. We've been miserable for so long, and suddenly it's all lifted. That's what happens when you get saved, isn't it? You remember the the moment you got saved? You remember when the burdens were lifted off of you? You remember what a relief it was, what a joy it was to know that your sins were forgiven? That's that everlasting consolation that the Lord is. And and what did he, what did Paul say back here? He said he said that, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. See, Christ gave himself. That's what it means. He gave him. God the Father gave him, but Christ gave him himself. He is our everlasting consolation, and he is our good hope through grace. Why? Because we couldn't do a thing of our own. We couldn't do anything with our sins. We had to have him do it all for us. And because of that, we have hope. This alleviation of misery, this everlasting consolation, it's a sense of pardon sin that's gone. My sins are gone. Hallelujah. I, I, I don't have to worry about them. I don't ever have to stand back and say, well, I hope I got all those paid for. I hope all those got forgiven. I know they were because the day, the, 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 day, the night when I trusted Christ as my Savior, he forgave all of my sins, not just the ones I'd committed up to the age of seven years of age. He, he, he forgave them all. My sins are gone. A child of God has received in their heart the witness of the Spirit that their sins are gone. And if our sins are pardoned, oh, what an everlasting consolation that is. I don't ever have to worry about my sins taking me to hell ever again because I've been saved. And next, the Lord, he gives his people an abiding sense of acceptance in Christ. Listen, I am, I, the Bible tells me that I, have been, that I am accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted because of who I am. 
and whose I am. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. <clears throat> I remember a good friend of mine, well, I said this one, I haven't seen him in a long time, but he preached for me years ago. He's pretty He's pretty well-known preacher out in Georgia. His name's Brother Dwayne Moore. He's an evangelist, actually. <clears throat> and he, he told me, he said, you know, he said, I've been preaching. He said, I surrendered to preach when I was nine years old. And he was just a very, very young man. I want to say he was, he was maybe 10 or 11 when he preached his first message. By the time he was 13, he was preaching revival meetings. And uh, he was, he was, mom and dad, of course, had to drive him to, to uh, different, different churches to preach. And they were preaching, he was preaching at this one church, and as soon as, as soon as they got done with, they got done with the message, said one of the deacons came up to him and said, hey, he said, we'll be eating mama's after service, we don't follow up. So we, he said, I, we know where mama's was, but we followed, we followed him on out, said, you know, a bunch of parks followed that fella after they left the parking lot. They drove down the road, he said, several miles, and there was a block, little tender block house sitting over uh, off, the, off the road, and man, there was, he said there was probably 30 cars pulled out there. And said, Mama went to a different church. So, so, so anyway, she done got home ahead of us because of the Bible meeting. And said, man, we walked in there. He said, there was so much food. He said, that table was from here to that back wall. He said, there was just food everywhere, people everywhere. He said, but, he said, here I am with some 13 year old kid. He said, man, when I came in that place, he said, that people just parked. He said, you want to know why? He said, because I came in with the sun. They didn't know me from that. I, I, most of the people wasn't in at the church for a preacher, but when I came in, we walked in. Everybody parked. You see, what's he talking about? He, he, he just he's just giving an example of what I'm talking about. Listen, I've got I got something in Christ. I, I I praise God. I have something in Christ that I couldn't have got anywhere else. I've got an everlasting consolation. Listen, I've I got a key to the kingdom. I have an acceptance. Why? Because of whose I am. And because of whose I am. Listen, when my time comes, when you hear that Brandon died, and listen, don't worry about what happened to Brandon. I guarantee you where I'm going. I'm going to be ushered right on in. Why? Because I come in with the sun, and that's why. Because of whose I am. See, when God looks down on me, he don't see me. He sees Jesus. He sees my union, my union with my risen, my risen Lord, and my union with Him. It's a consolation, and it's everlasting, and it, it's always going to be on me as long as I live, no matter where I go on this earth. That I have had the alleviation of my misery taken off of me by my Lord and Savior. I no longer am under the penalty of sin and death. Hallelujah! I have been forgiven and washed clean. And with, 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 you know what? And with the blessed assurance that I have, sickness can't mess that up. You know, nothing can mess that up. I've seen plenty of people that, that were believers over the years that were sick as they could be, and they were on their deathbed. But you know what? They were happy. You know why? They knew where they were going. They had an everlasting consolation that sickness couldn't do a thing with. So let death come to call. Let death come to call, because I can promise you it won't stop that everlasting consolation. 
I have, I have stood by many a bedside holding hands when people slipped out of eternity. And those who knew Christ as their Savior, they, they weren't none of them panicking. Those who still had their consciousness when they left, let me tell you something, they, they, weren't, they weren't upset. They knew where they were headed. That consolation will carry you through those moments, too. The knowledge that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, we're accepted in the blood. That's our, that's our everlasting consolation. It's an eternal security that we have. And God has promised that. God has promised that eternal security to those who trust in Christ. We're saved forever. So nothing that comes our way, nothing that that, that, that comes upon us to cause us to, to give up hope, nothing that, that, that comes our way should steer us out of the will of God. We should stand fast no matter what happens. You say, well, what if this world changes, preacher? What if it gets, what if it gets more difficult? Well, have to, we just have to stand. We just have to say, what if, what if the whole world's against me? Well, I'll be against the whole world. But I'm going to stand with Jesus, no matter what, come what may. Let's stand together. I want to say to you this morning, I don't know what you're going through in your personal life. I don't know. Maybe you've got some struggles that you're dealing with and stuff on you, weighing you down, turning on you. But I don't know what you're going Holy Spirit of God, you'll, you'll work in our hearts. Lord, you know you know what's going on in every life. And Lord, if there's a need for somebody to come this morning and bring a burden and lay it down before you, Lord, I pray this will be the time they do it. Lord, I don't know, again, I don't know everybody's heart, I don't know everybody's need, but I know you do. And I know, Lord, that, that there's nothing that anybody's going through this morning can't be remedied. Thank <laughs> you.
Let's, let's, let's be dismissed and 